What a blessing it is to be able to assemble and to gather this morning. As has already been noted, we have a number of activities that are in our immediate horizon here at Pippin, and we're so excited about our gospel meeting. We're excited about the great energy and fervor that surrounds it. Please be, be praying urgently about that, not only for others to, to come and be with us who are so much in need of hearing the gospel, but for Brother Jeremiah as he makes preparation of the lessons and makes ready for the sharing of the wonderful Word of God with each of us. As we continue to make preparation for that, take some of those flyers and let's be busy as we uh, distribute them. Encourage others to come and be with us. In addition to that, uh, just don't forget tonight, of course, our opportunity as a, our local congregation to come together during our, our pizza party this evening after the services. So please come be with us for that as we fellowship in that way and continue to encourage each other. The preaching of the cross. You probably noticed in the lesson text this morning taken from the 18th verse of 1 Corinthians 1, maybe one of the most powerful passages as we reflect for a moment this morning on the cross. These introductory statements on this next slide, I believe, will be forthcoming as I would at least ask you to think about what this topic is going to mean for us today. There's no topic anywhere of greater compelling thrust than the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything that follows from it, all the consequences that come with it, they're so very telling, not only here, but in eternity. Certainly today, we're just going to think about it, and I hope it'll be a motivating factor for us, even not only for the day today, but as we contemplate this upcoming meeting, as we contemplate your life and mine day by day. There was a remarkable event that happened outside Jerusalem roughly 20 centuries ago. Our Savior was crucified. The cross and the preaching of the cross. Didn't Paul say the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness? But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Much might be developed from that. I'm going to select just a few items this morning, but I would ask that you and I give consideration to some of the matters starting from the bottom. An unsurpassed value attached to the cross and what it means. Several ideas. Let's begin with this one. One of the immediate considerations in relation to the cross is, as we're going to discover this morning, and as Paul had just so powerfully highlighted, there are those in the world who thrill at the thought of the cross. They get excited about it because it's so very meaningful and so very touching. And there are others who, quite frankly, have a bit of a disdain for the cross. They seem uninterested at best, and quite often they're actually rebellious toward it. There's a tremendous difference between these two classes of individuals. Let's develop some of the things that are so greatly different about the classes. First, what is it about the cross almost immediately that makes it so unique? Could we not make this note? There are literally thousands of people that die every day around this earth. And yet the death of Christ is so very special. May I submit to you that one of the things that makes His death, the death on the cross, that death so extraordinarily meaningful is because of what it says about God. Point number one, the preaching of the cross testifies to the existence of God. For you and I have an immediate appreciation that when our Savior gave His life at the cross, 
all that goes with that and the considerations that attach to it speak very clearly about the existence of God. You and I know so well that there are many in our world who really don't have much interest in the things of God because God is restrictive. I can't do this or that or I can't do it in that way because God says and I'm not supposed to. Or He says there will be a judgment in light of that fact. But I don't want those restrictions and I want the freedom and the liberty to do what I want when I want, the way I want, for the reason I want. The cross forevermore testifies there is a God. It is a hallmark, a landmark case to the reality of this transcendent, omnipotent being known as God, Yahweh. You'll notice as you look at some of those features, didn't Jesus Himself say in John 3.16, that golden text of the Bible, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The text says God gave and He did it by virtue of His love. And so the cross is an embodiment, a reminder that there is God. All humans may foolishly live as though there is no God, but they'll regret that choice because the cross reminds us that there is. One last thing on that particular slide. Isn't it true, even as the Apostle Paul commented, there are those who find offense in the cross. That word O-F-F-E-N-C-E, they find offense in it. They do not glory in it. They do not find it in a happy matter at all. May we notice this is one of the great reasons why. They find offense in the cross, again, because of the restrictions that God places on the human family. The cross really did happen. It's not a figment of anybody's imagination. The Bible testifies that there was a cross, and it testifies Jesus died on it. And not only that, there are even extra biblical references to the fact of the cross, the preaching of the cross. What about point number two? Not only is the cross a very powerful reminder that there is a God, notice what else we can appreciate. The cross is also an amazing reminder of the truth that attaches to death and what follows it. We each again are very well aware of the fact that there's death all around us. Individuals pass away. Those that we love and cherish, they pass on. Neighbors and other acquaintances but yet the cross is a timeless testimony to the fact that there's something beyond the grave. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Paul in that very verse made reference to those that perish, but to those that are saved. And so the very wording suggests there's something beyond the grave. Some know about salvation and others know about perishing. Why don't we develop that thought perhaps like this? Again, may I submit to you that there are many in our world who are not at all thrilled about the thought of a judgment about matters after this death because they want to live for the here and now. I want to live it up today doing what I want if that includes any number of things that the Bible condemns. If I want to drink beer and whiskey, I want to do it. If I want to take drugs or have sex with anybody, I want to do it. And I am not interested in having anybody, no matter who it is, tell me that I can't. But the Bible testifies in the reality of the cross 
Here was one who died so that we can be saved from something after death. Saved from this horrible, terrible place. But the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. In John, or rather in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. Aren't we told, as Paul gave a powerful dissertation about the nature of what faith is and the nature of what it should embody in our life, if our faith, if our hope goes nowhere beyond the grave, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people most pathetic. You see, many, I suppose, in our world like the thought of Jesus in this life. Oh, in terms of the thing, I need to be compassionate and I ought to be kind. But again, they aren't always so thrilled about His restrictions, what I can't do, and they certainly don't like to think about the things after death. But the cross is a reminder of it, isn't it? Look at some of those next appreciations. Didn't Jesus all throughout His ministry tell us so very directly, in me is eternal life, John 6, 47. He said twice in that same chapter, I am the bread of life. Didn't He tell Martha in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. Life after death, you and I know the Bible teaches it. If only our world would appreciate more powerfully the considerations attached to that thought through the concerning reality of the cross. The preaching of the cross, though, takes you to that next item. Aren't you and I reminded so very quickly along with me that on that particular day when they nailed our Savior to the cross, thanks be to God that wasn't the end of everything. It's true that they took Him down and buried His body, but we all know what happened that Sunday morning. The women came to the tomb and it was empty. And those angelic visitors specifically said in Matthew 28, 6, He is not here. You see, there was something beyond death. And don't you and I thrill at the thought of those who appreciate the resurrection unto life? Oh, it's true that so often the Bible tells us, as Peter did on that first Pentecost day following the resurrection of our Master, in Acts chapter 2, verses 27 and following, Peter stood there and boldly said, You put the Son of God to death. By wicked hands you crucified and slain the Son of God. But he was so quick to say, But the gates or bars of death were not able to hold him, for up from the grave he came by the power of God. You see, the same cross then that testifies of what it cost in regard to sin also brings to our mind the reality of the beauty of being in Jesus and living faithfully for Him and the hope that a Christian has. The preaching of the cross. One last thought, as you can see at the bottom. There are still those in our world who, again, are rather antagonistic to that message. No wonder Paul then referred in Galatians 6 verse 12 to those who on that occasion are those who suffer persecution because of the cross. You see, the world doesn't like that message many times. And they will persecute those who preach it with love and with truth. That, of course, includes you and me today. There will be individuals in your community and those with whom you and I work who are not always happy to hear about the cross because of all that comes with it. 
What else comes with it? Point number three. In addition to the fact of God, in addition to the fact of life after death, what about this third point? And maybe your mind had already come to this place along with me. The cross is a relentless testimony to the reality of sin. You probably can picture it so well. We do it, of course, as we partake of the Lord's Supper each Sunday. But you picture Jesus hanging on that cross. You picture this perfect individual he had never sinned. And yet, why was he there? He wasn't there for crimes he had committed. He wasn't there because of mistakes he had made. He wasn't there because of injustices that he had performed. He was there for you and me and because of our lowly character in sin. No wonder these verses come before us. When you and I think about the cross, it is a timeless testimony to your sin and mine, to our sinfulness the nature of our iniquities. Perhaps these verses come so quickly to our consideration. Isn't it true that God has always had a law that He has in fact expected His human creatures to obey and He holds them accountable to it? There was that patriarchal law. There was that Mosaic law. There is now the Christian law. And so today, you and I live beneath the law of Christ. Galatians 6 verse 2, 1 Corinthians 9 21. That law might well be described like this. What about the violation of it? What happens when an individual chooses to disobey it? The Bible calls that sin. Whosoever sinneth transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Any one of the laws in those proper times that were violated, that was sinfulness. And today, of course, breaking the law of God, the law of Christ, is still sin. And now comes this observation. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us then stand guilty. And three chapters later exactly, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Does it not then follow that that cross, the cross on which our Savior died, is a reminder of my sin and yours? Maybe in light of the following, consider the statement that the end of sin is death. And oh, what a tragic arrangement comes along with it. The arrangement you and I see developed in James chapter 1. Every man's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The sentence should have been death for me. It should have been death for you. But yet one took my place and one took your place. And the cross is in a reminder of my sin. Oh, may we never think too much of ourselves in that regard. Always understanding our constant needfulness of a tender heart for approaching God always properly and rightly. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. May we again say that that preaching of the cross to some is not a happy message. They don't want to think about their mistakes. They don't want to think about the fact that I have done something that warrants an eternal hell. Oh, some might say, I've made a small mistake, or I've committed a little matter of error. Could you and I remember, since sin is a transgression of God's law, God is not a little God. 
and therefore there is no little sin. There's no such thing as a little sin. And so any transgression of His law, no matter how minor the world may call it, is sin. Perhaps you can see in light of one last thought on that passage, what sin then does that is so terribly dramatic. In the midst of that letter to Isaiah, written to by Isaiah, in chapter 59, the first couple of verses, the inspired writer there declared, God speaking through him, Behold, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You'll notice that your iniquities did it. Your sins did it. It separates you and me from God. And so when you and I give thought to the cross, here was a remarkable event in which God produced a means by which individuals could come to Him. As we develop that four more, notice then point number four. So far, these three lessons have reminded us of the grandeur and greatness of the message of the cross. The fourth point, there's forgiveness. As we just highlighted, the cross, the preaching of it, although to some it's foolishness, to others it's the power of God. May I ask you to contemplate at least in passing the following. There's forgiveness there. And so as the world looks upon this and makes proper application of it, God has decreed that through that cross and the available blessings that go with it, there is forgiveness. May I ask you to remember this scene. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and before yet He had fully died, He looked about over that audience and He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now you and I know very well that here was the Master's plea for a matter of forgiveness to the very ones who had had a part to play in His death. You and I know well what happened a little over seven weeks later. Notice they weren't forgiven that day. They were not forgiven on that moment and that occasion. Jesus prayed for it and God answered that prayer when the time was appropriate and right. A little over seven weeks later, perhaps some of those very same individuals said, when Peter closed his lesson, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, could I ask you to ponder, if they had been forgiven seven weeks earlier, they could easily then have affirmed in light of Peter's sermon, but we've already been forgiven. But they hadn't been. The answer to the Lord's prayer came on the day of Pentecost, when on that occasion we realized that the plan of salvation was revealed. They could then contact the precious blood of Christ shed at the cross, and they could be forgiven of those sins. Even the sin of putting the Son of God to death... Isn't that remarkable? And could we then not say that no matter what the errors and sins of my life might be, if they could be forgiven of crucifying the Son of God, can His blood not cleanse me of any sin of my life? And of course the same for you. This matter of forgiveness maybe brings us to a reminder from the very words of prophecy. Didn't Peter say it like this in 1 Peter 2.24? He bore our sins in His own body on the tree. Now whose sins was He carrying? Mine and yours. No wonder the cross is so distasteful to so many. Some don't think they have any sin. But God says something different. 
in Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1. We have perhaps the most famous Old Testament prophecy about the nature of what was going to take place at the cross. Who hath believed every report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall come grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone hath turned to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Didn't that nearly make a tear stream down your cheek? The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The proper time had come, and thus the Son of God went to the cross. He went to that place carrying the burdens of all the sins of all humanity that had ever lived and that would ever live. And so there's an unforgettable message about the nature of what the cross signifies. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I suppose that in light of all those things, is it any wonder that the blessed message of sanctification is found in the cross? Hebrews 10 verses 9 and following. These four lessons so far have been so very touching and telling. What about the fifth one? You see, the cross even has more that you and I can say about it. Would you consider the verse again that we've noted already? 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You might have noted with me so very easily that in Paul's inspired presentation, he only made reference to two classes of individuals. Did you notice what they were with me? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. So one class is them that perish. And later in the verse, but unto us which are saved. And so there's only the two. Could you and I then comment this morning that every single accountable human being falls in one of these two classes? There is no third category. There is no third option. Every single accountable being is either lost, that is to say, in a position of perishing, or is saved. The cross declares that. The cross testifies to it. No wonder so many have a disdain for the message of the cross. As you and I think about the development of those two, could you ponder this with me? That which makes determination about an individual, whether he is in one or the other of those categories, has to do with his reaction and his response to the cross. There are those, you see, as we've noted today, who get excited about the cross because of what it means to them. They realize what we've studied so far, that it testifies of their sin, and they're so thankful unto God that God intervened and sent His Son to die. And so they give their life in full obedience to the Jesus who died on that cross. 
They're the ones, of course, who, as they obey the gospel, they're in the category of the saved. Did you notice Paul considered himself among that group? He said to us who are saved, are you saved today? Be honest. Is your name in the book of life? Jesus died on the cross, and the preaching of that cross allows you to be sure your name is there. After all, the other category is so very tragic. Paul, even in ancient Corinth, made observation to those who are perishing. To those who are perishing. You might remember that as you and I often think about this word perish, it carries with it such a strong, vivid connotation. After all, perish is a very serious thing. Sometimes you and I see newspaper headlines that talk about maybe as a house burned unfortunately and somebody perished in it. May I say that the fires of hell are also prepared for the devil and his angels and for all of those who are his emissaries, all of those who choose to follow him. Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 and following. There are only two classifications and two categories. Which one am I in and what about you? Today is the 17th day of April, 2016. A blessed day, the first day of the week, a day on which you and I can appreciate the marvelous grandeur of all that the cross allows us to appreciate. Have I applied the blood of Christ to me? Have you applied it to you? After all, as we continue this study, the cross has a highlighted appreciation of all of this. Look at one last thing about that. The preaching of the cross. Although to them that perish it's foolishness. You and I know that this concept of foolishness, it has to do with those who think it's ridiculous. Those who look upon it and do not think the evidence warrants the conclusion. We know well that many are scoffers in that regard. Just like Peter said that there would be in 2 Peter 3 verses 2 through 4. You remember the question they asked on that occasion? Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Have you ever spoken with someone like that? Oh, this world is ancient and it's old. Jesus hadn't come back yet. What reason do you believe He is coming? Maybe that business about the cross is all just a made-up story. May you and I never think so. Jesus coming, we aren't told when that's going to be in the Bible. There's not going to be any signs of it. Matthew 24, verses 36 and following. But we know the cross is a timeless record that He is coming back. It's a record that there are those in the category of perishing and there's those in the category, thanks be unto God, that are saved. Sad to hear the description of the Bible on those that perish. Ephesians 2.12 says, At that time you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. How sad. How so sad. Aren't you thankful to know about the message of the cross? After all, to us who are saved, it's the power of God. Because we know rolled into the blessed message of the cross, not only is the happiness that we can enjoy here, we can live a life being forgiven now. But we can look forward to heaven. We look forward to that circumstance beyond the veil of death in which we could be with our Lord forever. And the cross makes that possible. 
That's exciting. As these lessons continue, what else about the preaching of the cross challenges us and helps us understand the greatness and the message of it? May I submit, it's the opening part of the verse. 1 Corinthians 1.18 again says, For the preaching of the cross. Paul made reference, did he not, to the preaching of it. Is the message of the cross something to be preached until the end of time? Is it a message to be sent forth no matter how many might not like it? No matter how many might not enjoy it or thrill at it? Indeed, we know. Didn't Paul later tell Timothy, preach the word? Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. Maybe as you and I think about the message of the cross, the Apostle Paul is such a gigantic example. Did he not say in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2, the very next chapter, just a few verses beyond where we've been studying this morning. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of Christ. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's the cross. Paul said, although the characteristics of human knowledge... Those things are not worthy for preaching material, the preaching of the cross. No wonder in light of that, let's finish that development like this. The cross is so vital because nothing else can save. No other message in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself declared so directly, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How many Jesus? He said none. Acts 4.12 declares it like this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so you and I will be convicted and convinced to proclaim the blessed message of the cross until our life on this earth shall be no more. The cross is that vital and that motivates us in light of our upcoming gospel meeting. Brother Jeremiah is going to proclaim the message of the cross. He's going to have that as a powerful reality in all. Both we and all visitors will be blessed and benefited. The preaching of the cross. Surely as you conclude that slide with me, that cross takes us to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And that's the heart and core of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. The seventh and final point of our lesson today is this one. The cross allows us to appreciate a very sweet consequence. And although we've hinted at it already, let's at least cast a stronger spotlight upon it. The message of peace with God. You see, as we noted earlier, because of sin, in that condition we're alienated from God. We are His enemies. And when we pursue the way of the world, John or James 4 verse 4 tells us we are the enemy of God. The cross then, as Colossians 1 verse 20 tells us, allows us to enjoy peace with God. Aren't you thrilled each evening when you can pillow your head knowing peace with God? 
that you can drift into the slumber of sleep knowing that all is well with your soul. But on the other hand, but on the other hand, contemplate for a moment or remember back to the days when you didn't know that peace. I can remember the day that I was baptized. I can remember that day in July 1981. I had thought so much about it. I knew from the lessons and the preaching that I had heard so often before, and I knew that I was lost. My hand was shaking like a leaf when the invitation song was sung that night. But I knew I needed to be right with God. I'm sure many of you have had similar conceptual matters crossing your mind. And you remember the day of your own immersion into Christ. To know peace with God, it brings a smile to your face, doesn't it? To know that things are well. To know that your name's in the book of life. Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. To know that Jesus, as He died for you, you've applied His blood to your life. And to know that that blood covers your sins and you're able to walk in a way pleasing before the Heavenly Father. There's peace with God. It might be today there's somebody in this audience that right now is not at peace with God. By the choices you've made to live, maybe you've never become a Christian. Maybe the cross of Christ at this point is just a distant, lingering matter and you really haven't given it that much thought. I hope after this lesson that's no longer true. If that is the case of your life, why not make it right today? If you've reached an age of knowing wrong from right, knowing that you are guilty of sin, knowing what the remedy for it is, why delay? Why not let today be your spiritual birthday? In fact, entrance into Jesus can be accomplished in just a very few moments. Believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the Son of God and be baptized. But by the same token, it could be that after having made that grand decision, you have begun a life, but in the days since, you faltered and failed and maybe done so in a very public way. Maybe you have lived in a way, and others know, that you've chosen to live foolishly, apart from the blessing of God, and you're living in such a way that you actually are an impediment to others in their appreciation of the cross of Christ. May I ask you to think that in Revelation 1-5, even those who pierce the side of Jesus can have their sins forgiven. That surely would include any individual such as you and I today. If you've wandered away from the fold of faithfulness, dear friend, please don't remain in that condition. There's coming a day when the day of judgment is going to be there and the cross of Christ will be a critical matter. If you're not living in faithful obedience to that master that died on the cross, why not make it right today? Don't continue to live in the devil's family. Don't continue to live separated from the God that loves you. Don't continue to live apart from the Christ who died on the cross for you. You need to pray. You need to invite us to pray into God for you, and we'll be happy to do it. But you must confess and repent of those sins. If we could be of assistance to you today in either of these ways, we'd be happy to do it. Why not come even at this moment while together we stand and sing?